Welcome to Simply Holy Living, the podcast designed to help average humans who are being made holy through small, simple acts of letting go of our way and living the Jesus way. My name is Tracy Miner, and though I will be your host, I am much less a guide and much more of a fellow human in pursuit of holiness. Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Living, that place where all of us are being made holy. And the way God is doing that right now is he's teaching us how to practice the Sabbath. And I want us to use that word practice, just like you would when you're talking about practicing a musical instrument, where you find a passage in a piece that's causing you to stumble. So you slow it down, you take it apart, practice it with different rhythms and bowings and articulations or something. And that's exactly what we are doing with the the Sabbath, is we're learning how to take what he made holy and, and keep it holy, and how that rhythm in our life will teach us to live more beautifully, to play our instruments more beautifully. That's the idea behind that. So we are learning to practice the Sabbath. And last time we talked about um, you know, we're just pressing pause on everything that we have going on in our lives that we weren't meant to complete all of our work. We will not be complete until we are with God in completely in spirit once again. And so during our journey in life, we just press pause every seven days so that we can unite with him again and get ourselves realigned. And one of the things we talked about was how desecrating the Sabbath is when you just treat that day as ordinary. And so what we what what we tried to do last week was cre- just to make a little list of things that we could do that would make that day not ordinary, but extraordinary. So we take out our ordinary tasks and we put in, I guess, sort of what's upside down from that. If we're a person that, um, you know, sort of keeps ourselves restricted from social media all week, it might be a day where we kind of go, oh, and I'm gonna go on social media for an hour or two. But the opposite would be true of someone who's on their phone, you know, all week, all week, all week, then maybe on, on the Sabbath day, you'd be a person that wants to put that phone away and not even touch it for 24 hours. That might've just struck fear in your soul, but you know, you could start with a smaller amount, but it's the opposite of whatever you would normally do, you know? So this is why it's not gonna be the same for everybody because one person's work is another man's hobby. And so, it has to be specific to you. Those things that you just don't, you would love to do, but you can't get to them because you just don't have the time with all of your work. It's a time to press pause and enjoy this earth and the things that God has given us. So that's going to be a very personal list. I recommend that if you have not done that yet, just just go back to the last video if you haven't watched it or if you just joined the podcast or whatever. Go back and and listen to that one and make that list before we go on today. But today we're going to journey on and we are kind of systematically going through the scriptures in the Bible about the Sabbath. And we're going to now go to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be doing a lot of study in Isaiah. This is the deep dive. Okay. I I think I warned you about that before. This is the rabbit hole. Um, Last time I made a series about the Sabbath, it was very practical what to do on this day and what to do on that day and how it all works together. And that's good. We will do some of that, but mostly I want us to start just embedding ourselves in the heart of God and why he talks about the Sabbath in the way that he does. And so we're going to be looking at a lot in Isaiah. Actually, Isaiah has a lot to say about the Sabbath. And here's something that might be encouraging to you. The context is usually bringing people back to 
the Sabbath, back to the practice of the Sabbath. So, you know, sometimes we might be, we might feel a little bit down on ourselves, like, oh my gosh, I don't even, you know, we haven't even been practicing the Sabbath, you know, it's so far removed from me, I don't even know what it is anymore. Well, the truth is that even hundred, a few hundred years before Jesus, you know, way back then, people would always drift away from the Sabbath. It was a normal thing that would happen. So a part of their drifting away from God was they just stopped making time for him. Now, as we're reading these scriptures from Isaiah today, I want us to personalize them. I don't want to think of them as like some old, really old passages written to people thousands of years ago. I want us to take them in for ourselves. And this is easy to do because we are just like them. The Israelites had been slaves in Egypt. They had been serving their slave masters, and then God brought them out of their slavery and set them free in the wilderness, brought them to freedom. But they didn't know even how to live in freedom. They, they didn't know how to live without their slave drivers telling them what to do. So God had to give them his laws, the Sabbath being one of those commands to teach them how to have real freedom. The same is true of us. We were all slaves in our sin. We all were obeying, you know, our sin, and we were set free by Jesus Christ. But sometimes we don't know how to even live in that freedom. We think that freedom is the absence of anyone telling us what to do. But really, freedom is learning to live for God, learning that freedom that comes only from living for God. So I want us to hear these scriptures through the, the, the ears of, of our Father, a loving, kind, tender-hearted father teaching us how to live because he saved us because we are the apple of his eye. We are his treasured possession. So I want you to hear these words tenderly and sweetly spoken to you. Yes, correcting you, but out of this love from our father. And to help us get into the mindset a little bit, I want to start by reminding us of the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch is a story from the New Testament. So this is after Jesus has already been here and he started the church and um, these disciples were spreading the gospel all over the world. And so Philip, one of those disciples, gets a special mission. It says, and this is from Acts 8, if you want to follow along, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Okay, so I wanna just catch you up on the context just to be sure we're all on the same page. So here is this Ethiopian man who had become a God follower somehow. Well, how did that happen? Probably during the diaspora or the scattering of the Jews, um, he had encountered Jewish people and their community and had fallen in love with their God. And that happened a lot. In fact, he was so God-fearing and wanted to know this God of the Jews so much that he started joining in on the festivals, which, you know, those three festivals that people were called back to Jerusalem to celebrate every single year. So he was on one of those pilgrimages, and then he comes on his way back, and he's in his chariot, and in verse 29, it says, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. 
Well, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. And this is going to be from Isaiah 53. It says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with this very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Okay, so think about this. Um, Philip starts with this very passage about Jesus. Exactly what happened to us is that we grew up around God. We grew up around the story of Jesus if we grew up in America, but we didn't understand it. We didn't know Jesus until somebody sat down and explained it to us. And as Philip explained this Isaiah 53, I, I picture him reading on and on and on and bringing him into a lot of the things that we're going to read about today. So this puts us into that mindset of taking all of these passages very uh, personally. So I'm going to start reading in actually chapter 55. I said 53, but we just read some of 53. 53 and 54 are really this um, beautiful imagery of what God was going to bring about in Jesus. And the fact that he was going to fulfill everything that he had promised in him. So I want to start by reading this in chapter 55. It starts with this um, title, Invitation to the Thirsty. <laughs> and that should definitely be intriguing to all of us. Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Now think about what he's doing here. He's saying, you know what? You could keep, you know, you could, you could look for all of this in this world, but you're not going to get it. I have the real food. I have the real water. Come, I promise it's going to be awesome. Okay, let's, let's go down to verse six. I'm going to skip a little bit. I can't read it all. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. So he's giving them this opportunity. He's giving us, it's an invitation. Come on, just try it, right? Just try it. God is waiting. He says, let the wicked forsake their ways, the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This reminds me of the last time when we were trying to conceive of the idea that those who desecrate the Sabbath should be put to death. We can't even fathom it. We can't think about it because the way God thinks is so different than the way that we think. In such a, a, a good and fitting thing to let him be God 
<laughs> and to let us not be God, right? Then he gives them all these promises. He says, um, go, jump down to verse 12. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for the everlasting sign that will endure forever. You know, he's just inviting us to this amazing, amazing life. 56 says, this is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right for my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one, happy is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps his hand from doing evil. Pause. Let's think about the fact that he was just issuing this huge invitation, come to me, all you who are thirsty, right? And he's, he, the climax is that we keep that Sabbath, right? Happy you will be. Blessed is the one who does this, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it. This is the beautiful invitation. And now, before we read on there, I want you to recall the memory of that Ethiopian eunuch. And there was a couple of things that sort of separated him from God's people, so to speak, right? He wasn't a born Jew. He was an outsider of sorts, a Gentile, that's one thing. And he was a eunuch. Now, both of those things excluded him from worship in the temple. There were places in the temple you could only go to because you were God's people and you couldn't have any ailments or things that, um, um, that you, know, be, you couldn't be a Gentile, you couldn't be a eunuch, you couldn't go in that temple, that very first temple. So there's things that were keeping him from God. But remember that in Jesus, when Jesus was crucified, that veil in the temple was torn into. It's the veil that kept us from being able to go into the Holy of Holies. And that temple, that man-made temple was actually destroyed and all of its regulations against Gentiles and everything. And it was rebuilt in you and I. We are now the temple of God. We are being built together. We Gentiles, we eunuchs, all of us who previously in the previous system wouldn't have even been able to go into the temple we are now making the temple we are bricks being built together as it says in ephesians that we are being built together to become a dwelling in which god lives by his spirit so god has broken down all of those walls that divided and he's brought us together into his kingdom so think about how it would have felt as the eunuch was learning about Jesus and all that he meant to read these next words. In verse three, it says, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people and let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. 
I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbaths without desecrating it, and all who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them the joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted by my, on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. You know, he was in this passage, Isaiah is talking about how he's going to gather all these exiles, right? That were people were sent into exile because the Babylonian Empire and the Assyrian Empire had taken over. But God was gathering them back and we are now gathered with them. We are the others. In this next passage, he's going to go through reprimanding them because of the sin that they had been involved in. In verse 9, it says, Come, all you beasts of the field. Come and devour all you beasts of the field. Israel's watchmen are blind. They lack knowledge. They are mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream, and they love to sleep. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way and they seek their own gain. Come, each one cries, let me get wine. Let's, let us drink our fill of beer and tomorrow will be like, any, be like today or even far better. I want you to think about what he's saying here. These are these, he's talking to these leaders all these years ago, but how much does this apply to us? I mean, think about it. They never have enough. And if I could use one phrase to describe our culture, inside the church and outside the church, I would say that's it. They never have enough. It's never enough food. It's never enough money. Well, how much do we need? Just a little bit more. It says that they all turn to their own way. I mean, how many of us, we, uh, in this land of, <laughs> in, in this land of autonomy, you know, where we, you know, we all want our independence and we want our, uh, we basically want our way. And it says they seek their own gain. And I have had experiences lately where I have been, I don't know if disappointed or saddened by the feeling, even inside my own fellowship. It's sort of every man for himself sometimes, you know, we all gotta look, look out for our own, gotta look out for our own kids, we gotta look out for, instead of this feeling of being that temple that's being built together. See, it's easy to go to become these people, these blind guides, these, um, <laughs> I love all of these metaphors, the mute dogs, they cannot bark, because these things come in and take us over. You know, he goes on in the next chapter in 57, he says in, in verse four, who are you mocking? At whom do you sneer and stick out your tongue? Are you not a brood of rebels? The offspring of liars, you burn with lust among the oaks and under every spreading tree. You sacrifice your children in the ravines 
and under the overhanging crags. The idols among the smooth stones in the ravines are your portion. Indeed, they are your lot. Yes, to them you have poured out drink offerings and offered grain offerings. In view of this, should I relent? You've made your bed on a high and lofty hill. There you went up to offer your sacrifices. Behind your doors and your doorposts, you have put your pagan symbols. Forsaking me, you uncovered your bed. You climbed into it and opened it wide. You made a pact with those whose beds you love. And you looked on with lust at their naked bodies. You went to Molech with olive oil and incense and increased your perfumes. You sent your ambassadors far away. You descended to the very realms of the dead. You wearied yourself by such going about, but you would not say it is hopeless. You found renewal in your strength, and so you did not faint. Whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have not been true to me and have neither remembered me nor taken this to heart? So I gotta say, I'm really sorry that this is sort of the bad news, <laughs> but this is where we need to be today is, you know, there are reasons why we drift away from God. There are reasons why we don't take the time to celebrate the Sabbath. And almost all of those reasons go back to our own idolatry. He's describing here an idolatrous people. And this can easily be us. We absolutely form idols out of the things around us, the power, the control, the money, the education, the beautiful house, the car, the things that were meant to be gifts often become our new gods. And then he says this line, which I've underlined and circled and everything here. It says, whom have you dreaded and feared that you have not been true to me? You know, we are always fearing something. We're fearing not measuring up. We're fearing not having enough. We fear that, um, we won't get ahead. We fear that we won't get what we want. But we fear those things to the point that we stop obeying God and we don't remember him. He says, you have neither remembered me nor taken this to heart. So I'm gonna read just a little bit more. It says, is it not because I've long been silent that you do not fear me? I will expose your righteousness, and in other versions it says your so-called righteousness, and your works, and they will not benefit you. When you cry out for help, let your collections of idols save you. Oh my gosh, I have that circle. You know, sometimes we create all this mess in our lives, you know, because we're not really following God, we're not really giving everything to Him, and we're going after our own ways and all of that, and he's like, after a while, he's okay, let your idols save you. You keep crying out. Well, cry out to those idols that you've created for yourself. I've already told you what I want from you. I've already told you what I'm willing to give you. I'm already, I've already told you what's in store for you. I told you what I've promised you. I invited you to the waters, right? I invited you here. But you have to follow me and not follow your idols. You know, I think that this connection between idolatry and not 
celebrating the Sabbath are go hand in hand. And you're going to see this more and more and more because as we read through Isaiah and Ezekiel, you're going to see this connection. So this is what I want to, us to do this week is I want you to try to identify what are those things that you dread and fear? <laughs> what are those things that you're fearing more than God? Those things, not being able to do this, not being able to do that. What are those distractions that are getting in your way? When it comes down to that sixth day and you know that tomorrow you're gonna rest, what makes you say, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't because of this, I can't because of that. Can you write those things down? For those of you that heard the podcast last week, I did a meditation on Mary and Martha, and it actually really helped me to enter into the Sabbath because as I'm teaching all of this, I'm actually learning all of this at the same time. And last week, it was so hard for me to press pause because, <laughs> of course, I'm right in the middle of telling, telling everybody they should. So hard for me to press pause because I was letting all the distractions, my mind was distracted with many things, and I was letting them get in the way. What are those distractions for you? If I take a day off tomorrow, then this won't get done, okay? And if that doesn't get done for 24 hours, what could happen? What is your worst fear with that? What is the underlying fear? Work it all the way through. You know, when you're trying to work your kids through something and they're afraid of something, they, they don't wanna do something. Okay, well, what's the worst that could happen? I think this is an exercise we all need just a five minute exercise. I'd like for you to sit down and write down all those things that seem to get in your way of taking that time. What are those, those areas that are in danger of becoming more important to you than God's commands, right? Because that's what happens with these idols is the reason that they become idols is because there many of these are just are just healthy normal desires but they have grown out of control or they become disordered is another way to say it disordered desires they become obsessions or they become things that we look to to save us more than god what are those things? There's those things that we do on a daily basis, but what is it that gets in the way of the Sabbath specifically? This is what I want to focus on for this week. And for those of you on the podcast, I'm gonna be doing a meditation that'll help us with this practice for this week. But until the next lesson, remember this. In Hebrews, it said that God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Embrace the process. Now that we've had a chance to talk about those fears that are keeping us from being able to stop and just enjoy the Sabbath, and maybe some of those things that have crept into our lives that were really supposed to be gifts but have maybe turned into idols or preoccupations, obsessions, things we can't seem to stop. I want to give you a practice that you can do each and every Sabbath. So at the end of your week, whenever you're getting down to that last day, and then it comes down to the last hour, and 
you know that it's time for the Sabbath, but yet there's so many things that you didn't complete that you thought that you should. That phone call, the text that you're supposed to return, the errand, that last email you were supposed to write, whatever it is. You can do this practice. It's called the practice of pressing pause. And um, we're going to go through it right now. You can either do it mentally in your mind, or you can physically do it. You'll need a pad of paper, um, preferably a sticky notepad, and a pen. But if you're driving or doing something else, you don't have to do this physically. You can just do it in your mind. I want us to start by just writing down with in bullet points or in a numbered list, all those things that are shooting through your brain right now that you wish that you had gotten done. All those things that you're supposed to have done that are still undone. I want to take a few minutes for you to write all of them down. Don't stop until every until you can't think of another thing. And we'll take a few minutes here. If you need a little bit more time, you can pause the pause the recording here. But once you're done, I want you to take that that sticky note either in your mind or in your hand. I want you to get up from where you are. I want you to take it to your refrigerator. <laughs> and just stick it up on the side of your refrigerator. Now it will be there, of course, everything that you just wrote down there is gonna be there for you in 24 hours. So now I want you to go back to your seat. 
And we're going to take a little time to dwell in Matthew 6. And I want you to picture, um, I want to picture something. I want you to get an image in your head. An image of the word steep. Now steeping is usually a word that refers to when you steep a tea bag. You pour boiling water over it and you leave it for a few minutes. And as that water works its magic on those tea leaves, all of the beautiful aromas and the flavors start to seep out into the water and the water starts to become the color of the tea leaves. It's that rich, deep tea color. So beautiful. (laughs) And I want you to think about as we're reading from the word today that you are steeping in the word that you're not listening for an order, a command to obey, um, something to change, um, but that you are allowing the word to change the color of your mood and your heart. that you're just sort of soaking in it. And just notice where your mind tends to rest. Um, What catches your attention? What interrupts you? Because that's going to be an invitation from God into a new way of thinking or feeling. So let's start by taking a few deep breaths. And I want you to take in the slowest, deepest breath that you possibly can right now. And then exhale and make it even longer than your inhale. This stimulates the vagus nerve, gives you the vagal response, which is a calming response for your nervous system. And let's take another deep breath. Exhaling. And one more. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. What do you hear God inviting you to in this scripture? How does it make you feel that your heavenly father already knows all of your needs? How does it make you feel that he knows everything that was on that list, on your sticky note? Is there anything on that sticky note you still feel worried and anxious about?
How does it make you feel that God will give you everything you need? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have provided this day for us, that you are just so kind and gracious and loving and merciful, that you would provide this beautiful rhythm for our life to be able to rest. Thank you for creating that space for us. God, I pray that you would help us as we try to let go of those things that are on that sticky note. I pray, God, that we would be able to let go of them and truly believe that you will help us, that you will help us to accomplish everything that we need to do if we just press pause right now. So God, I pray that we can press pause on all of those thoughts and that you could carry those thoughts away and that we could replace those thoughts just being in wonder about how you care for each and every bird, each and every lily of the field. God, thank you. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for knowing our needs. Thank you for providing for our needs. And I pray that all of us could have the, the faith to let go of the undone and enjoy these next 24 hours with you. God, fill our hearts with peace, with shalom. Help us to um, continually rest in you. God, we praise you. We worship you with all that we have. Thank you for everything that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining me today. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it with a friend, choose some stars, and write what helped you as a review. And remember this, my friends. In Hebrews 10, it says that it is through Jesus that God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's a process, so be patient with the process and focus up, holy peeps, until next time.